so today we're going to talk a little bit about this concept of control versus chaos. Control versus chaos. And as a disclaimer, I want to I share with you very quickly to make sure when we're talking about the word control, it's not necessarily how I control the situation, but how we allow God to have control of our situation. So I just want to clarify that because you're going to hear that word a lot. And it's not about us controlling life or controlling our situation. And so this is going to be a great example of a, a rubber meets the road type message, as I believe most of James' messages are. And today we're going to talk about getting rid of the chaos in our life. And some folks might sit there and say, oh, well, I don't have chaos in my life. Hang around for a little bit. You'll realize you have a lot more than you think. And so we're going to start this message out first by unpacking the first verse in our text this morning because that's where I, I really feel I want to bring some clarity to this first verse and then launch from there. So James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Your devices, you can turn it on to it or it'll be up on the screen. The Bible says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Verse 15, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wait till we get to that. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I love that last phrase. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvests of righteousness. So this message, I want to start out by unpacking verse number 13 a little bit for you. So in verse number 13, when it says, if you are wise, that phrase wise, you have to understand in this context, actually has nothing to do with intelligence. Nothing to do with what you know, nothing to do with any measurable bachelor's degree or master's degree or doctor's de- doctorate's degree or any of those types of things. This is simply a measurement. It's actually referring to a skill set. It's not necessarily referring to what you know, but a skill that you have acquired. It's the same word that Greek philosophers would use in, re- in describing Jewish theologians or Christian teachers. It's a combination of what they have known, but more what they have experienced that brings wisdom. So let's just put this in perspective. A 20-year-old coming to you and suggesting that they are wise are actually the opposite and quite foolish. Because the reality is they have not lived long enough to have experience of wisdom. I was actually just sharing this recently as, as it relates to leadership in my life and around my life and my hope and my desire is that I have people in and around my life that know a lot more than me and have experienced a lot more than me. 
I am not one of those pastors who's like, oh, I want everybody who I know that is around me to be at my level or below so I can be the dominant man and dominant idea and the one who has all the ideas and everybody just fawns over me. There's already enough of that in the church. What I, my desire is that we're full of people who have wisdom from experience, hence why I've submitted myself to a spiritual father like I have in Gary Grogan, who has so much more wisdom than I do and so much more experience than I do. And then well, I am sharpened by conversations that I have with some men in this church who have more wisdom and more experience than me, partially because they have more age than me, but the other part of it is they have more knowledge even than me. And that's what I love about God and who he places in and around our lives. But the problem is most of us run from the people who have wisdom in our lives. Most of us just cower away from the people who have wisdom because it's the wisdom of people in our lives that speak to things that we don't really want spoken to. It's the wisdom of people in our lives who challenge us to say, you know what? I really don't think what you just said is really appropriate. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to be challenged in that capacity. You just want to be lifted up for all of the glory that you have and all of what you know and all of how you act and that everything is going to be just fine. But that's not actually wisdom. Wisdom is what comes with your knowledge and a greater knowledge of experience. And so that's when, when, when the Bible talks about wisdom, and especially when James talks about wisdom. So when you hear that phrase moving on, wise or wisdom, you know that's what he's talking about. The second thing I want to unpack in that passage of Scripture is the word understanding. If you look at verse number 13, again, like we're talking about, he says, if you are wise and understanding. So this is why it's taken seven weeks, because we're only getting through four words in five minutes. And so that's why this book is so powerful and so amazing. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, that word understanding, now we're starting to get into something. It's a skill set that is being talked about, is obtained through knowing, through simply knowing in head knowledge and putting into action what you know. That's what understanding is. Understanding doesn't mean, okay, I read the scripture. I get it. It's, I read the scripture, I get it, and now I act it. I read the scripture, I get it, and now I live it out. I walk it out. I focus on doing the things that I am supposed to do with what I have just understood. And so you have to then look at what he's talking about being wise and understanding towards. He's not talking about being wise and understanding to worldly things. He's not talking about being wise and understanding to anything except, what does it say? God's ways. If you are wise and understand God's ways. See, there, there, therein rise the challenge for many. We are wise in all kinds of ways. And we're understanding in all kinds of ways. But it's the ways of God that we're not so wise and understanding. Because we're not acting on what we actually know. And so I, I, talk, I, talk, I have conversations, biblical, theological conversations, all the time in my life. Because it's something I enjoy. And then... After the conversation, I am challenged to, am I actually living out what I know? Am I walking it out on a day-to-day basis? And so the expectation is that you have to actually prove that you have wisdom and understanding. You have to prove that you have knowledge of God's ways. 
James actually tells us, you know what? Fine, prove it to me. Prove it to everyone around you that you actually have wisdom, that you have knowledge, that you have this understanding. And how do you do that? It's a great question. Bible tells us, first, living an honorable life. By living an honorable life. The original text in this phrase, it means it's an outward sign of an inward good. Living an honorable life is an outward sign of an inward good as it relates to dealing with others, conduct, and behavior. Do I have good conduct, good behavior when I deal with other people? Because that's what, that's what living an honorable life is. It's not just about raising my kids well and being a part of their life. No, it's what is the conduct and the behavior that I exhibit when dealing with other people? Perfect example. If you've ever been in customer service in any capacity... See, people are already chuckling because they know. You have heard some pretty nasty things. And my guess is, on some capacity, you have said some pretty nasty things. Is that an honorable life? Only you and God can make that determination, except that it should be operating within what? Wisdom and knowledge. You should be displaying wisdom and knowledge in how you interact with other people. Now, we all know that sometimes that's difficult. We all know that sometimes somebody just makes us mad, and we have, to, we have to tell them. We just have to tell them that they've made us mad. And um, in my new ventures that I, have, that I have taken on the last few weeks and working at a, taking on a full-time job as the marketing director at Chick-fil-A, I've had a few conversations with a few people that have not really made me mad, but kind of unsettled me to the point that I'm like, you know, I think I need to tell them something. And then I remember who I am and what my life is about and understanding that living an honorable life is what's pleasing to God, and so therefore I refrain from telling them a few things. There wasn't, a, there wasn't always the case in my life. I was usually the kind of person who, if you told somebody, said something to and frustrated me that you would know about it within seconds. But see, over the course of journey and walk with Christ, that's one of the things he redeems in others. So live an honorable life. The second thing that you can find in that same passage of scripture is by doing good works. He says in verse 13, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works. Yes, you're expected. See, folks get this twisted in their mind. Yes, you're expected to live an honorable life, but yes, you are expected to work for God. You are expected to work for God. And it's not as if, oh, now I have to go to work for God. No, you have to go to work to make money, but you don't have to go to work for God. It's something that you should want to do and desire to do because why? Because he lives already in you. People ask all the time, how can you just do, 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 and do, and do, and do, and keep on doing all these things in church and in the community and in God. And I'm like, because I desire to. It is so deep in me that I have to actually be reined back by people because I'm like, I'm going to go and do everything humanly possible. I'll sleep when I die. That's, that's sometimes my mentality, but I'm realizing now as I get older, sleep is very, very important and actually quite good. You know, and, and God wants me because I'm more effective when I can be rested versus if I'm burning, if I'm burning the candle at both ends, eventually my candle's going to burn out. 
And that's not, that, that, that's, then I become, I'm, I'm rendered completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. But you should have this desire within you. That's why I love Pastor Paul's message last week. My phone should have, and I'm going to tell you now, it was not. But my phone should have been blowing up all week of people. How can I serve? How can I help in this community? How can I, how can I, how can I? Because every single one of us have an opinion when something's broken in our community, yet not one, let me rephrase that because I'm about to say something wrong. Many of us do nothing to actually affect change in that community. But we all have an opinion. Man, we all have an opinion. We'll get off of opinions before I say something bad. The third thing you can find in verse number 13 is so you have the living this honorable life, doing good works, but with what? With the humility that comes from wisdom. If you ever run into the person who will stand up in front of you and tell you, yes, I am humble, no, they're not. No, they're not. Because you should never have to announce that you're humble. By announcing my humility, I am falsely portraying something that I really want to be, but I'm really not. You're supposed to operate in humility that comes from wisdom. This is why young people aren't humble and have no wisdom, because they think they know everything, and then they act on what they think they know, and then they run themselves into a position where then now they need help, and who do they come to? Someone a whole lot older than them, because then they know. I am that person who has said it before and said it again and have told my, even my parents, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I really thought I knew everything, came to realize I didn't know anything, and you actually were quite right, mom. You were actually quite right, dad, because the reality is there's wisdom there. My kids are learning it now. My, ki- I have to- my kids are no different than anybody else's. They all, all know everything. And my 15-year-old, almost 16, she knows everything. Just ask her. She may not tell you that to her face, to your face, but just fish around a little bit. She knows everything until she doesn't know. And then it's dad, mom, or even in some cases, one of you that she's come to and say, Hey, I kind of need some help in this situation. Because dad's the one who says, oh, I thought you knew everything. But the reality is the word humility actually is a gentle strength. It's not this posture of, woe is me, I am so unworthy. That is, if you were unworthy, God would not have sent his son to die for you. Now, that being said, don't put yourself up on a platform and think that you are more worthy than you are. But we don't walk around with this, 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 this woe is me and a, oh, I am so worthless. And No, your worth is immeasurable. Your value is incredible because he created you. And that's not what he's talking about. It's a gentle strength. It expresses power with reserve and gentleness. Expresses power. See, we all, I think most of us in some capacity have got the power thing figured out. It's the reserve and gentleness that we don't quite have a grasp on. And that's me, if I'm being honest. I have the power thing figured out. The reserve and gentleness, I'm working on. But I'm like you, anybody else, I'm a work in progress. My hope is that each day, my, my, my experience causes me to be more wise, which causes me to be more humble. But for the believer, humility begins... Only with God's inspiration. And it's finished with his direction and empowerment. You can't humble yourself. 
It's God's inspiration that brings humility to you. And oftentimes, it's God's allowing certain situations to take place in our life to really ultimately humble us. Anybody ever been humbled by life? Am I the only one? Okay, a few of you, thank you. I'm glad a few of you actually have lifted your hands because I have been humbled by life on a pretty daily basis. All right, so now we're going to get back into the rest of this message as I've unpacked verse 13. And for the next 20, 25 minutes or so, we're going to talk about this idea of chaos versus control. Now, how many of you are in this room, and it's okay to do this because we just talked about age having wisdom. How many of you in this room are old enough to remember a show called Get Smart? How many of you have watched the show Get Smart? Okay. Well, Maxwell Smart and Agent 99 worked for a group called Control. They were the good guys. Control always fought against the bad guys, and the bad guys worked for an organization called Chaos. Some of you know. Control versus Chaos. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I want to, contr- I want to talk to you about that thought, that thought, control versus chaos, all right? And I'm going to bring it right from James chapter, chapter number three, verses 13 through 18. The first blank on your sheet, I have a fill-in-a-blank sheet for you. Feel free to use them, draw on them, whatever you like to do with them. But the first blank on your sheet is chaos happens when we become complacent. Chaos happens when we become complacent. Verse number 13, the Bible says in James chapter 3, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. James says that when you have wisdom, there will be something to show for it. When you have wisdom, there will be something you're doing with it. People who think they're right, There's a lot of folks out there that think, oh, I got this, I'm right, I got this all worked out, and they have some of the most messed up lives. They think they're right, but their marriages are in the toilet. They think they're right, but their children are completely rebellious and wild and all over the world. But they think they're right, yet they serve zero in the church church that they have God has placed them in. See, this is what happens. Chaos happens when we become complacent. Proverbs chapter 24 verses 30 and 31 says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And though it was grown over with thorns and nettles. What does the NLT say? Put that verse up. Is that verse up there? No? It's not in there? It says, It was grown over with thorns and nettles and had covered the face, and the stone wall was broken down. So he went to this field of the slothful and this vineyard of the man void of understanding. What did he do? He went and visually saw complacency. He went and visually saw no work. He went and visually saw how there is nothing going on, nobody's doing their jobs, and because of this, the walls were broken down. The field, the vineyard was overgrown with thorns, and it was completely covered. So chaos happens when we become complacent. Number two, chaos happens when our emotions get out of control. Chaos happens when our emotions get out of control. Let me just help you remove a phrase from your life. Here's the phrase that every last one of you should remove from your life. Are you ready? It's going to set you free this morning. 
I'm just saying. Please take those three words out of your vocabulary. Because I'm just saying usually comes when I am emotional. Well, I'm just saying. Well, no, you shouldn't be saying. Just don't say. Verse number 14, the Bible says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Let me, what happens when we get emotional and our emotions get out of control? Words like always and never get thrown around as if they are absolutely, per, absolutely perfect and right on time. Well, you never this. Ooh, got to be careful with that word because that literally means never, ever, never, 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 ever. And in an emotional state, that's what we think, but that's not actually the reality. Or you always this. Man, you know how many times I've heard that? Not just in my, I've heard it in my marriage a time or two, and I've said it a time or two in my marriage, but outside of that, in this capacity as the pastor of church, I have sat down with people who have not been happy with me and said, well, you know what, you always, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. I always, like all the time, every single moment you've ever had with me, I always. Well, no. I said, well, then don't use that word. Come up with another word. Come up with another phrase. Or they say, you never, ever, never? And I, I mean, I interrupt it because these are powerful words because they speak negativity that we absolutely end up believing in our heart. When emotions get out of control, chaos is at a paramount in our lives. Some people can have the whole world and be completely messed up inside because anger and resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness take root. That's why so many folks are judging the success of an individual on what they see. When the reality is success is more judged by what you cannot see than what you actually can see. Eventually, fruit will come to bear, but you can't pass judgment just because you look at somebody and they live in a big house and they have a nice car or they have the best job or they have three jobs or whatever the case may be. You can't judge based on that. You have to, you actually shouldn't judge any of those things for ourselves because they're really none of our business because what happens is you have people inside who while on the outside got it figured out, but inside there's anger and there's bitterness and there's resentment and there's this nasty Long word that starts with un and ends with forgiveness. There's unforgiveness rooted in our hearts. And here's the reality. If you are sitting with unforgiveness in your heart, your effectiveness in the kingdom is going to be very limited. Not only that, Jesus said if you can't forgive, then mm, I don't think I can forgive you. That's harsh. You don't want to hear that. It's one of those phrases like, oh, the message was good until you said that. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Emotion that's out of control usually is born from a heart that's broken. When the heart becomes broken, whether it's in relationship with someone that breaks your heart, or if it's, or if it's the loss of a job that breaks your heart, or whatever the case is, there's something that happens in life that breaks your heart that causes emotions to just go on overload. 
But the wisest of people in Scripture wrote, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If you're one of those folks that just ends up emotional over everything or angry about everything, the course of your life will dictate that you will always be angry and you will drive everyone out of your life. You'll always be emotional. And let me tell you something, don't nobody like to be around super emotional people. They don't. And that's like, that's, that's, that's then they have an issue that they have to work through because God wants us to love and, and embrace everyone of, of all kinds. But it's going to be hard because every single time someone gets around you, the emotion is on overload and it's out of control. And that's when chaos happens in our lives. Number three, and we're going to get to the blueprint plan as we've been doing every week. Number three, chaos happens. Simply when we leave God out. Chaos happens when we lead, leave God out. Verse number 15, the Bible says, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Jealousy and selfishness. Jealousy and selfishness is what brings evil of every kind. You want to know why there's evil in this world? Because there's jealousy in this world. You want to know why there's evil in this world? Because there's selfishness in this world. It's all about me. I got to get mine. When is it going to be my turn? When am I going to have my opportunity? I want what they have. I want what he has. I want what she has. And we become jealous we become selfish, and every kind of evil is derived from jealousy and selfishness. Boils down to people think they can do it without God. But here's the reality. Real wisdom comes only from God. Real wisdom comes only from a relationship with God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, us, says it like this. There is a path before each person that seems right, but in, it ends in death. There is a path in front of every person that seems right, but ends in death. That means it's that much more difficult, that much more important that we stay connected to God, not just connected to Him in worship. Because let me tell you, worship is a beautiful thing, and I love worship. I am a worshiper, and I love, and I don't, that's part of why I sit in the front, because I don't care what any of y'all think about me, and I don't even have to see it. I can just be up there with my hands lifted. I can bounce if I want. I can pace if I want. I can just, I can just pour out my heart and my soul in worship, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But if that's all you ever do, you are likely to become a very emotional person driven by nothing but emotion. Because worship is an emotional thing. When I'm worshiping, I, it gets emotional for me. When I'm, when I'm in the presence of God and I'm dealing with something and God's dealing with me, I get emotional. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all I ever have, I'm going to be an emotional person. And that's all my decisions are going to be made out of emotion. And I always, I always tell folks, and I say this always, and be careful with that word, but this is true. I always, don't ever make a decision in life based on emotion. You let that emotion settle. Let that emotion relax. Get into a clear headspace. Then make a decision. How many people have ever quit a job emotionally? Anybody ever done that? Then you're all better than me. 
because I did this. I don't have, I don't have my keys now. I did this in my young walking with Christ days. I did not want to ever work on Sundays. I wanted to be in church. I was saved all of six weeks. I was like, man, I want to be in church every week. But my boss said, you got to work on Sundays. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. So I did this. He said, well, you know what? You're going to be here tomorrow. I said, no, I'm not. I quit. And I threw my keys at him. I've done it twice, actually, in life. I did it in the secular world of business, and I did it as a pastor, too. So yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> I told you I got issues, bro. So I, that's how I quit. I was all emotional about wanting to be in church, and I threw my keys at my boss. Let me tell you, that's a dumb thing to do. But I was all I had at that point in my life was emotion. I didn't have any grounding in God's word. I was just emotional, and I was going to react into my emotion. And then even sometimes when you do have some God's word grounding, because I had some God's word grounding later on as a youth pastor, somebody said the wrong thing, my boss said the wrong thing, and I threw my, I didn't throw them at him, I learned that lesson. I threw them on the desk towards him. It got turned into, I threw him, threw them at him. But the reality is in both of those situations, I made emotional decisions. I let my emotions get the best of me, and chaos would ensue. The path seemed right, <laughs> but it certainly was not right. I was thankful to God in both of those, con- those, both of those situations to retain my employment because that was not going to be a good situation for anybody. First time married with a little kid, second time married with three kids. So I was thankful to retain my employment and the grace that God showed me. So what's the plan? The blueprint plan is to get smart. That's why I brought that up. That's the plan, to get smart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. But getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. How do you get wisdom? Well, one part, you just have to grow and grow up. Don't be like the commercial. Don't say, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. That doesn't work. You have to actually grow up if you want to be wise. The other part of it is you pour yourself and your study into the Word of God because that's where wisdom lies, is in the Word of God. And we're going to get to that. I don't want to give away one of my points. So here's what it looks like to get when we get God's wisdom in our life. Verse 17 and 18 of James chapter 3, the Bible says, But the wisdom from above, first of all, is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the, and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvest of righteousness. So let me just tell you what it isn't. If we are unpure in our motives and our thoughts, then we lack wisdom. If we're not peaceful people, we lack wisdom. If we're not gentle, we lack wisdom. If we're not willing to yield to others, we lack wisdom. If we do not have mercy, we lack wisdom. If there's no fruit from the work that we give and that we do for Christ, you lack wisdom. It shows no favoritism. So if you have favoritism, we lack wisdom. And if you're not sincere, we lack wisdom. That's the bottom line. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is pure. It loves peace. It's gentle. It's yielding to others. 
Man, that's a struggle. Especially for those of us who think we have all the right answers. To yield to someone else when you think you're right. This is rubber meets the road kind of life right here. So what do we do to get smart? Number one, we pray. Prayer. James chapter 1 verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Man, Solomon's the greatest example of that. God came to him and asked, what would you like? And he could have asked for anything. And I believe God would have given him anything he had asked for in that moment. And he said, I need wisdom to lead your people. And he became the wisest person ever. Until, of course, he had some moral failures. That's a different message for a different time. (laughs) I was trying not to go there, brother. (laughs) He had some women troubles. A lot of women troubles. Way too many women troubles. That was the problem. Way too many women. Anyway. (laughs) Woo. But before that moment, he was considered to be the wisest of all people and also became the wealthiest of all people. Because in that moment, his heart was pure. His motives were right. And he wanted wisdom to lead God's people. And he did well for a while. When we pray, our language should be that that says, God... I want your wisdom in my marriage. That's my prayer. God, give me wisdom in my marriage because there's two people in our marriage and both of us are always right. Let me just tell you, (laughs) that don't work. God, I want wisdom in my job. It It was the most agonizing decision I had to attempt to make to begin to become a bivocational pastor because it was already settled in my heart that pastoring was enough. Pastoring was enough work. And no, for some of y'all folks that like to be smart, Alex, I work more than one day a week. Some folks like to say, oh, you just work one day a week on Sunday anyway. But that was already in my heart. So I had a lot of work to do. I had God had a lot of work to do in my heart to get me to the place where I would be okay with bivocational ministry. And I I'm thankful for that because I love it. But God, I want wisdom for my finances. God, I want to be a good steward of what you've given me. God, I want wisdom in the decisions that I make. This is prayer. That's how I pray. I talk to him like I'm talking to you right now. I don't get in there and say, oh, Lord, where art thou? And I don't speak like that. And I'm not saying anybody who does speak like that is wrong, but it just don't work for me. I pray, God, I need your help because I can't do it without you. I need wisdom in my marriage because if I leave it up to myself, we're going to be divorced. I need wisdom in my job because if I leave it up to myself, I'm going to be fired. I've already exhibited that twice. God, I need wisdom in my finances. Otherwise, I'm going to be broke. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. You know, it says that James said, have good judgment, wants us to have good judgment. And this is the way you have good judgment is by fearing the Lord. Fear is a reverence for God. Not a, I'm scared of God, but a reverence for Him and awe of respect of who He is. So prayer is number one in the blueprint plan to getting smart. Number two is the Word. 
The Word of God, it's the answer for everything. Matter of fact, my guess is half of the room, maybe not half the room, but a bunch of people in the room would rather have another answer. Okay, I hear that the Word of God is important, but give me another answer because that, one, that one's not so, I'm not so good at that one. But there isn't. Here's the reality. We want another answer without actually having tried the first answer in the first place. Get yourself in the Word of God. If I literally, here's what I know, here's what I know would be fact. If I said, as a pastor, and I would not say this, and I'm not saying this, but if I were to say as a pastor, here's your challenge, here's your struggle, go get into the Word of God and apply it. Don't come back and talk to me until you have. My phone would never, ever ring. Just being real. It might ring for the first couple of weeks because, you know, it's new, and it's, oh, I'm going to get into the Word, and then give it a few weeks, and that's going to be chirp, chirp, chirp. Because that's usually all we devote is a short period of time to God's word. And then wonder why chaos still ensues in our life. The word, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 says, But all of you who were faithful to the Lord your God are still alive today, every one of you. Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. Why? Because the word of God is being spoken on a daily basis. That's what's going on. This is, this is conversation taking place to those entering, that are supposed to enter into the promised land. This is wisdom that they're giving. It says, Look, I teach the decrees and regulations, just as the Lord commanded me, so that you may obey them. This is what God desires, obedience to his word. Where obedience is in his word, chaos will never be. If we are obedient to God's word, we'll never, our lives will never be chaotic. Now, there could be chaotic things going on around us, but we ourselves won't be caught up in that. And the last one is this, very simply, everything is all about one person. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Full circle from James to Jesus. James, James's command is to seek wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. Everything lies in one place, in one man, and his name was Jesus. And his name is Jesus. And his name will be Jesus. That's where everything lies. Make, make everything centered about Christ. My walking, my talking, my working, my fellowshipping, my worshiping, my reading, my studying, my planning, all about Christ. When he is the center of everything that else that you have going on, when he is the center of life itself, 
chaos will not exist. It won't. I don't care how chaotic life is around you. You will not be caught up in that. You will not be chaotic yourself. God will be in control, which means you are in control. Not control of your situation or control of what of these things, but control of you. How you respond, what you say, what you do. That's the challenge of James. That's the challenge of this blueprint plan to removing chaos from our lives. Is just to simply make it about Jesus.